0: Heavenly Father, thank you. And would you help us, Father? Would you, put a, would you put a supernatural energy in this body this morning to be hungry hearers of your word? And help us to know your love, Father. Help us to envision a church that hungers and thirst for your righteousness to revive to be full of love and life. To be a beacon on the corner as hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people will walk by this place today. And may they know and may they say that something different and special is happening in that church. And may you make anxious inquires. Because of what your spirit is doing in this place. And so encourage us this morning. Start us on a road this morning that we will never come back from. A glorious place, Father. And every, every one of us who are saved this morning so long to be with you. But it is more needful that we are here together helping one another. And so make us great, great lovers of those around us. And may we look back as a church and say this was a season where the Holy Spirit began to stir our hearts together. And that's why That's why these things are here now. So do this work in our hearts, Father. Change me. Change us. Make us like the Lord Jesus. Empower the word through preaching through your Holy Spirit. And may may we be a people most excited to see, to grow, and to learn what it is to be the church of the living God. And we will thank you and we will praise you And praise you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay. Let's go ahead and take the book. And let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It will take me a little while to get there. I want to set this sermon up just a bit. but 1 Corinthians 13. And as I told you last week, what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to update you the best I can as, uh, as leadership here, as the elders figure out what God wants us to do in this new season. Um, we are meeting. We had a great meeting um, last week. And uh, we are going to continue to meet and continue to let you know what God is putting on our hearts and how He is directing us. But I do want to give you a very, very small snapshot of what we are looking at. I told you, uh, I I suppose what Bethel is right now, and I suppose dealing with God, works something like this. How many of you guys like puzzles? (sighs) Okay, look, I love you. I hate puzzles. Okay, I love you though. I just want, let's... Let's just make sure, and it's because I'm not gifted at doing them. I only like things I'm good at, but uh, God works a little bit like putting together a puzzle, and and, uh, Bethel is a little bit like a puzzle, so is every church, and what we do is uh, we just grab the pieces, and we begin to put one out there, and then we, we find another one that looks like it fits, and we grab that one, and we move it over here, and we say, okay, I'm starting to see a little bit of the picture, you get it? starting to see the picture a little bit. And then we, we find another one that looks like it fits, and we talk about it, we pray about it, we communicate to the church. We, we think God is trying to do this, and we take that piece, and we say, oh, nope, that wasn't it. We grab another one, and we say, okay, there it is. Pretty soon we start seeing the, the picture take form. There it is. Um, but this takes time, and this takes a lot of prayer, and a lot of humility, and it takes a lot of risk. Um, so we are going to try to get that picture uh, to become clear and clear about what God wants to do with Bethel in the future. Does that make sense? Give me an amen. I don't even know why. Just There we go. Good. And so right now, we have a two-fold plan. Um, we're calling it organizational health and spiritual health. And uh, those are the two things we're working on. This is kind of the through-the-week, behind-the-scenes project, the organizational health, the spiritual health is our Sundays, our Wednesdays, And uh, what we mean by that is, uh, did I just lose that? You want me to sing? I'll sing. I'll sing. There we go. Um, So when we say organizational health, here's what we mean. Um, If you think about all the ministries that are working right now in Bethel, everything that's going on, um, when you go through a transition as a church, sometimes systems and organization breaks down. And all you got to do is look at Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, and you'll find out that a church that does not have organization is a church that's going to struggle. Um, we We will step on each other's toes. And so what we want to do through the week is we want to take a look at the big picture of Bethel, and we want to begin building systems and organization and clarity for each ministry. And that way the church functions in harmony more and more and more, and uh, we take away a lot of work, and we put a lot more into our ministries, and we get along a whole lot better. That's a big project when you have, uh, I think I counted now, 33 ministries running here at Bethel. So that that is an ongoing project that will take several years, and then what we want to do as a second phase to building Bethel through this transition is work on spiritual health. And that really is how we relate to one another as we work together to fulfill the mission of the church and as we organize, okay? Again, when you go through a transition, it's very normal to carry some bad habits. Very normal. Uh, There can be some frustration left, there can be some confusion left, there can be, be some bitterness left. Again, All very normal, but what we want to try to do is start working that out and replacing it with love and patience and godliness and sincerity and gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit, right? That's the plan. That's the plan. Um, So I do want to let you know uh, that we may be guarding Bethel's schedule just a little bit because uh, the more we do and the more new things we add on, the harder it is to accomplish this. But we have to accomplish this To do new things at a new level. So this is our foundation right here. Uh, What we are already going, uh, working on, and we're going to introduce very soon, is certain policies over certain ministries to help structure them. Um, But as for today, we are going to work on the spiritual health. And again, I will keep you updated on all of this as the elders and I work through this. Uh, But let's work on spiritual health. Let's... uh, Let's do this through our new series that we are calling Gospel-Centered Relationships. Gospel-Centered Relationships. We, we want to know what the gospel has done to our hearts and how it works out towards one another. Hence the, the series, Gospel-Centered Relationships. A couple of questions. I, I want you to answer this. Very awkward question because of who you're probably sitting next to. Are relationships easier or hard? And it has nothing to do with the person sitting next to you. I just want to speak for them. Nothing to do. So how many of you guys think they're hard? How many of you guys think relationships are fairly easy? Oh, well, well you haven't been around me long. I will, I will probably prove that wrong. Um, relationships are a hard thing. Now, again, there are some people who are just so easy to get along with. Well, you're cheating somehow. You get along with everybody, and I love you, and uh, we want more of that. But for the most part, I think for us mere mortals... Relationships are a huge challenge. Now, if I, if I take that right there and I say, okay, look, relationships are very hard. Uh, let, me, let me throw the second question in. Do you realize that you cannot escape relationships? All right, so on this side, relationships are really hard. On this side, you can't escape them, which means we are stuck in something that's really hard. From its earliest stage, when you think about uh, infancy or childbirth or something like that, from its earliest stage, think about this life is designed to be lived in relationship with other people. From cradle to the grave, you are woven into people. And we've all tried to do the soloist trip, right? When we're tired of people, it doesn't work. Because we were made in this Trinitarian likeness of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who are woven together in relationship. We are made in that image, and we are, too, to be woven into each other's lives. You know the only problem is? We don't always get along. But on a good side, on a positive side, when you think of relationships, one of the cool things about relationships is that they develop the true you. Now you're saying, what are you talking about? You are not yet the full you. And it's because Christ is not fully formed in you yet. But when you are in a relationship, that's God's way of developing the real you or bringing the real you or the full you out. How many of you guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Oh, you've got to know who C.S. Lewis is. Marvelous man, right? Marvelous man. Uh, He said these words. In each of my friend's, There is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. Think about that. There there is a part of me that only you can bring out. Uh, There is a part of me that only my wife can bring out. And so if we're not woven into relationships, the full us won't develop. Lewis goes on to say, by myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. And what he means is certain things like love. I am learning to love because I'm in a relationship with my wife. I I am learning to laugh because I'm woven into a relationship with friends. I'm learning how to grow and be like Jesus only because I'm seeing my weakness through relationships. I'm growing in patience only because I'm woven into relationships. I am learning to forgive. I am learning to forgive more and more only because of relationships. I'm learning how to be more humble, which is a very prideful thing to say, only because I'm working with people. And I'm learning to be more and more passionate about God as I see God in other people. So God develops us through relationships. So when you take that whole introductory package right there, here's my big question, and you may want to write some of this down. Uh Uh-oh, I lost it. That's okay. Uh, You may want to write this down. What happens to us as individuals? And you think about it. What we are is we're individuals. What happens to us as individuals when relationships with others break down? That's a huge thing. What happens to us as individuals when relationships break down? We don't often think of it like that. Um, Or I could put it in the context of uh, Bethel, the local church. What happens to you as a Christian if your relationship with Bethel breaks down? Um, We often talk about joy and we often hear a teaching that says joy is not dependent on people, it's dependent on God. Yes and maybe. Philippians 2.2, a very staggering thought as Paul writes to a church that is fighting. Complete this is the apostle. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Let me say that again. Get the import. Complete my joy. My joy is lacking because you're not of the same minds. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. In other words, Paul was not experiencing the fullness of joy because the church was not unified. That's an awesome thought. That's how woven into each other's lives we are. So we could say as Bethel, we are not going to experience the fullness of God's gift of joy if our relationships aren't woven together and we're not healthy and agreeing. Unified. So says the apostle. Well, another thing that can happen if our relationships are not unified is our testimony to a world that's not Christian. John chapter 13. As Jesus is leaving the scene, he tells his guys, you have got to love each other like I loved you. Why? Why, Lord? Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers. Well, man, I would love to fill in the blank right there. By my preaching all people will know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Nope. If you have love for one another. So the whole lost world, seeing us as the followers of Jesus is dependent on our relationships right here in this church, you guys. So think of your loved ones. Think of you have family who who are not Christians and you would love to see them come to the Lord and know the, the saving grace of Jesus. And yet Jesus says it's the relationships that they're looking at. Isn't that something? So, here's what we know. We know we were made to be in relationships. And we know how easy relationships break down. So here's my question today, and this is all I want to do. I want to deal with this question right here for the sake of Bethel's future and Bethel's healing. What is the cause of all of our relational troubles? Do not say a name. Don't you do it. <laughs> I asked that question at a church one time, and I had names flying. What do you, where do you even go from there? You know, hey, let's pray. But I want you, I want you to think about that in your own life. And this is, uh, this is a question that's designed to get us to look into the very depths of our hearts. What is the cause of most of our relational troubles. Now, let's just narrow it down here. Most of our relational troubles in the church. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you a foundational piece of the problem, and we, we'll, we'll probably work out the rest next week. I want to give you the foundational piece to most relational problems in most churches. And then, depending on how you respond and uh, What's said to me after the service? I'll decide if I want to continue this. <laughs> you ready? Two points. Two points this morning. I am going to first frame the problem through 1 Corinthians 13, and then I'm going to frame the answer from 1 Corinthians 13. Write this down. Number one, self-love is at the core of most of our unhealthy relationships. Self-love. Now, let's be careful here because there was a Christian teaching going on for a long time that said we love ourselves too much. And I think there is so much unhealthy viewing of self that you can actually become self-destructive. So be careful about that. We're not saying that you should not love. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, love others as you love yourself. So it's a healthy love. It's a healthy view of self. You should have some value as you think of yourself because you're made in the image of God. So don't mistake what I'm saying here, but just, just get that down for a minute and I'll explain this a little bit. Self-love, self-love, the, the unhealthy type of self-love is at the core of most of our unhealthy relationships. Now here's the crazy thing about relationships. <laughs> I mean, there's many crazy things about being woven into another human being's life. But we often go into relationships to get something for us. All right, super transparency time. Can I tell you why I married my wife? <laughs> I know. Pray for me, sister. I married my wife because she liked me. I'm serious. Like, I remember talking to my mom, like, mom, she really likes me. Like she she digs me. She thinks I'm good looking. I mean that's why I'm marrying her She she makes me feel good I'm just telling you That's why most of us Got married right there Like they put up with me And they love me Now here's the tricky part About this And by the way It's not just marriage If you think about uh, um, The last interview you were in As you go into a relationship With a job It's like So why do you want this job Well I want I want to work here So I can just give away Talents and gifts To this company No you're like I need a job And you're paying really well All right Now, you never say that, but that's the truth of it. Or you think about joining a church. You say, well, you know, I'm really thinking about joining this church. Now, not always, but for the most part, we say, I really like what they offer. Wrong? No, not wrong. Not wrong. But be careful. Be careful. So while that's not entirely wrong, here's the big kind of comical question. What happens when two people or 200 people are all going into a relationship to get something? How's that end? So here, here is, here's, here's what my wife and I found out on, a, on a, a micro scale. The church is on a macro scale with this. Here's what my wife and I found out. You know when the honeymoon season was over, which is actually a real thing. Um, here, here's what we did. Uh, she, because she had me and I had her, everything changed. It was, you know, it was like she's not giving to me anymore. Yeah, she doesn't have to. She's got you. And then I wasn't like super giving. You ever notice like uh, certain people will take up like uh, working out when they're dating someone? Like they don't work out at all, but just to get that person, they do this. But after they get married, it's over. So, what happens when two people come together and they built that beginning stage of that relationship by saying, Wow, she treats me so well, she treats me so well. And then all of a sudden that kind of starts ending now that you're together. Here's what we start saying. Why aren't you pleasing me anymore? That's what I started doing with my wife. Like, you've changed. You don't baby me and cater me. And she's like, yeah, we're married. So, so that's the weird thing about relationships, or, or people come to a church and they say, man, this preaching, or this music, or these ministries, I, it's just so awesome, it's so awesome, and, and it's just serving me, and it's giving me, and that's great, we want to do that. But after a while, you start going, you know, ah, you know it's, not, it's not fulfilling me anymore, and now they're asking me to actually get involved and serve other people, and it's like, ah. So here's what happens. We get entirely let down after a while in relationships when we stop receiving and receiving and receiving, right? And when a relationship is not giving to us at the level that it used to or the level we desire, here's what what often happens, you guys. We convince ourselves that we're no longer compatible. They're not giving at the level they used to. We must not be compatible anymore. Maybe I need to move on and find a fresh relationship. So when we look at that, maybe, just maybe we've done it backwards. All this creates is really, a, I guess, what I could call a debt-debtor relationship. You used to give to me. You don't give to me anymore. And now there's a sort of debt over your head. I, I don't get it. I don't know why. why. Why would you stop doing that? Now you're asking for me to give to you. I, I went into this to get something from you, and you aren't delivering, and I just don't know if I'm supposed to be in this thing anymore. This is a very common thing in churches. So, as we look at the Corinthian church, this was actually their problem at the core. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's go all the way back and let's just uh, get a little testimony of this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You guys with me? Uh, how about verse 10? I appeal to you, brothers. You got it, one ten. I appeal to you, brothers. Uh, I am pleading with you, church, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know when someone when someone starts that type of conversation with you, it's just not good. Or when they start speaking like King James. I mean, there's a problem. There's a definite problem there. I appeal to you, brothers, by, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's really pleading here as a pastor that all you agree. There it is. And that there be no division among you, but that you are united in the same minds and the same judgments. And that judgment just means like when they're trying to make decisions, I uh, know uh, we should do this, and I uh, know we should do that, and and so they never could make any progress because everybody had their own opinion and agenda. And you say, well, what's at the heart of that? Why do you want your way? Uh oh, why do you want your way? Well, it's because I'm what I'm comfortable with. And Paul says, well, let's find out what Jesus' way is and what will move the church forward best. That's not easy. First Corinthians chapter three. And this is kind of hard-hitting there in verse 1. Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. <laughs> I mean, that's like someone coming to me and going, John, I'd like to talk to you uh, like you're a Christian, but I've actually got to talk to you like you're lost. Like you have no understanding at all of God. That's just the condition of the Corinthian church. And by the way, guys... Hear hear this. By the way, Paul fleshes this out. The reason they were so underdeveloped was a lack of hearing the Word of God correctly and powerfully preached. He said, You still desire milk when you should should be getting in the meat of the Word. It's it's baby step stuff. Preaching, teaching the Word, it renews the minds. But nonetheless, he says, But I, brothers, 3-1, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants as Christ. So I almost have to talk to you like you're not Christians, and I'll just give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm talking to you like you just got saved. Now remember, they were a three-year-old church, and Apollos and Paul were the pastors, two of the greatest preachers of that time. That's a problem. Two, I fed you with milk, not solid food. I gave you the ABCs of Christianity. For you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready. For you are, you are still of the flesh. In other words, the, your, your fleshly appetites are, are still way too strong. But while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? In other words, what drove out, or what was supposed to drive out, jealousy and strife was a, was a clear hearing of the powerful word of God which would reveal Jesus Christ and the sin of the heart and cause continual repentance transformation look at the chapter 6 this is, this is sweet this is sweet this is, go church. This is what this is. Go church. <laughs> you know, look at 6-1. Watch this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? So apparently people were arguing in the church, and they were just, they were taking each other before the Roman court. They were suing each other. Sweet. Couple that with John thirteen 35. They'll know you by your unity. Not good. Uh, He says those things should be dealt with in the body. That is, if you agreed and had the mind of Christ. Verse 2, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? I mean, one day you will. You will be a part of the restoration of the world. Certainly you can deal with these small problems in the church. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? I mean, if God is going to allow you to do the big stuff on the new earth one day and govern the earth, can you not deal with these little Silly things. He says in verse 3, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? If we're one day going to be a part of the governing of the new earth, certainly right here we can deal with these small issues. Uh, do I dare? Let's do it. James 4. If you want a summation of the Corinthian church, here it is. Go to James 4. I I have often been so mad at James because of this. James is kind of a hard-hitting book. So he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights? Those are two military terms in the Greek. Think about that. That's in the church. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? I, man, and if you, everybody just look up right here. That's James's question. Answer that question in your mind right there. Like, well, it depends on where I'm at. It's either my wife, right? Or, you know, whatever. Here's what James says. He just nails us. Is it not this, that your passions, and that word means your personal desires, are at war within you? Yes, James, that's what happens. Just leave me alone. That's very uncomfortable. To look at my heart that way. James, you're right. When John Marus is fighting with someone in his family or, or with staff or with a board or with a church, yes, it's because my passions are all fired up in my flesh. My personal desires um, are my focus and are my wants. Yes. And James says it doesn't work that way. Uh, We've got to figure a way around this. Let me say this statement, and uh, this would be a good one to to write down and and to pray over. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 if you're not there. And I don't want to be too hard on us or anything like that, but I, I do want us to understand this. It is even possible for us to do something that looks like it's for others when it is really for us. Do you know that? You want to know how this looks? Yesterday, I was upset at city streets. I don't even know who they are. I was upset because they were blocking our doors with uh, mountain climbing equipment. And I didn't want them there. I wanted people to come to church because I wanted them to hear the word of God. But the more I I started looking into my own heart and praying through this, the more I realized that that was just a nasty strand of selfishness. I wanted people to hear me preach. Some of you are like, I wish I knew this stuff about you before we voted you in. (laughs) I'm being real. It's in all of us. And so here I am thinking that, well, I want to go there and preach the word so people change. But I could feel something was not right with that. And even when I looked like I was doing something that was for the Lord, as the Lord, the heart searcher, the scripture calls him, as the Lord began to deal with my heart, I realized that I really wanted to do that for a lot of my own selfish reasons. And that's what we find in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that's huge. So, you know, everybody wants the gifts, and everybody wants to speak in tongues. But he goes, look, if you're doing that just for you, but have not love, and we could, we could literally say, but you're not doing it to bless others in the church. You're just making noise. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal probably has something to do with worship. We want to come in and we want to use our our gifts and we want to do these things on even Sunday morning. But are we doing it, Paul is saying, are we doing it because we love one another? Am I doing it because I want you to be blessed? Verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers, by the way, if I hear another prophecy about me, all right, <laughs> and if I not not in this church, by the way, it's not in this church. I'm just like goodness, like people are emailing me with prophecy. Um, I will be at Bethel preaching. That's the that's the thing. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, all the deep things of God, if I have the deepest theological understanding. And I have all of the knowledge that's needed to tap into the mysteries of God. And if I have all faith, I'm willing to do anything for Jesus so as to remove mountains. But I don't do it because I love you. I am nothing. And no one cares how much we know unless they know how much we care. And if I give away all I have, if I'm this sacrificial person and I deliver up my body to be burned. But I don't do it because I love you. I gain nothing. In other words, uh, God gave these Corinthians a zero on everything else if they weren't doing it because they love each other. Think about that. It doesn't matter how many sermons I preach as, as the pastor here. If I am not preaching the Bible Because I, I love you I mean, I have a deep care for you I want you to know the Lord I want you to know His ways and His word And experience the wonder of, of it all if I, You know what, I, I gotta, I'm, I'm so I probably shouldn't do this But whatever, it's too late uh, But just last night I was looking at my wife I, I'm sitting there looking at my wife And I'm not messing around, I'm serious I'm, I just thought, man, that woman is beautiful And here's what hit me here's what hit me. I got my heart right, and I, I started thinking, am I living for my wife and my daughters? Am I living for the church that God has so graciously put me into? And when I stopped looking at my wife as, man, why isn't she doing that for me? And I saw, I'm here to love her. I'm, t- I'm here to show her the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything changed. I saw her in a whole new lens, God is so consumed with us and our motives of doing everything we do for love because we want you. We want you to know the Lord. And if you're serving in a kids class or whatever and you're looking at these kids and you're like I want to do this because I want them to know and feel love. I, I got this wonderful friend here and uh, we, st- we, we just have this ongoing conversation on Sundays and uh, she's telling me about this little boy that, that she works with and it's so cool because this little boy is just shot. He's, he's just shot from a lack of love. And he's a real rascal. She, she said it, I didn't. And she just started loving him. And his whole demeanor, everything about him is changing. But, but she, was, she was cracking me up because she's like, Yeah, you know, after a, after a while I was like, Oh, this kid's driving me nuts. But then when she realized she has been putting his life to love him, she saw how beautiful he was. Uh, churches want talented people, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But what they often get is division. And I want to say that it doesn't matter how gifted we are. It matters how loving we are. Man, I will take musicians who are working their hardest, maybe stumbling through a sad or uh, people working in the office who don't always nail it or pastors and teachers downstairs who are kind of stumbling through lessons but they're doing it because they love people. But if we have a bunch of talented people who could care less, they're doing it to be seen or whatever, we're going to struggle before the Lord. And so I think it would be important if we all just stopped and we all admitted that this is really easy to fall in. Even Paul had to learn this. First Corinthians 13, one, he says, if I, he had to go through this. He had to learn that, man, I'm doing this for the wrong reason. I'm doing all this Christian stuff for the wrong reason. I gotta learn how to do it because I care about people. So that's the wrong type of relationship to have. We need to develop out of that. No matter what realm we're in, we need to do things for people because we genuinely care about those people and love them. And I love what the scripture says. God has something so much sweeter for our relationships. If you jump up to chapter 12, verse 31, here's what Paul says. Last part of verse 31, and I will show you a still more excellent way to have relationships. I'm going to show you a better way. And I've got two minutes to show you point to. So that's what we need to learn. We need to learn the more excellent way from the scriptures here at Bethel and really everywhere. So, we rebirth this new desire that we want to do all these things because we genuinely love and care for each other. So, right down to the second point. We got, a, we got a super hustle. Here's what God has done to get us to do this God, God has given us a new power and a new pattern to heal our relationships. And that's a twofold thing that changed my life a new power and a new pattern. Here's what we don't do in the Christian world. What we can't do is we can't say, just love people. It doesn't work. It's not an act. You can't work it up. Here's how love works. You experience something absolutely phenomenal on your own life, which teaches you how to treat other people. Does that make sense? So here's what happened when you got saved. When you got saved, the selfless, strong love of Christ invaded our hearts, and now it wants to work out. First Thessalonians 4.9, just write that down for the sake of time. Here's what Jesus Christ is saying through the Apostle Paul. Here, here's what he says to that church. He says, I don't, have to, I don't have to teach you how to love one another. God has already taught you how to love one another one another. In other words, when you got saved, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, that experience of God's absolutely amazing love and grace on you through the cross of Christ has so staggered you that you already know what it looks like to treat other people right. And then he gave you the Holy Spirit of God who brought you the fruit of the Spirit, love, and the Holy Spirit is pounding and hammering us to get that love out. You understand that? The Holy Spirit is doing everything he can to get the love of Jesus to fly out towards each other. So we have the power through the Holy Spirit and through salvation to love people in a shadow like Jesus loves us. But the most beautiful part is when you get saved, God gives you a pattern of how to work out that love. And that's what Paul lays down in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 4. So he says, one to three, all wrong. If you're just doing stuff in the church, but it's not to love each other, all wrong. And then he goes like this in verse 4. And this is, this is what's called literary personification. Verses 4, 5, and 6 is a person. It's a person. Paul is not saying do these things. He's saying here's what someone did, Jesus. Jesus. He says, Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient with you. Jesus is kind to you. Jesus loves you. Jesus does not envy anything about you. He wants the best for you. Jesus does not boast over you. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not rude to you. He's always kind and gentle and loving. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Here we are struggling with something And Jesus just doesn't just <sharp inhale> I said do it my way No Jesus says I understand It's a war I understand it's not easy Jesus is not irritable When he looks at John Maruse, He's not irritated <laughs> I mean that's amazing He's not resentful Why did I save that guy? I poured all this into this guy and look at him down there. He doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing when I mess up. See, I told you. Jesus rejoices by just giving me the loving truth to get me back on course. So the more excellent way in 1231 is really a new person to model after it's Jesus Christ and um, let's turn one more place, Luke 6. And let's tie this together, and then we'll shut this down and do that jump house. Luke chapter 6. So here's what we need to do, guys. And I'm out of time. I'm going to go over just a little bit, but you don't have to come back till next Sunday. In Luke 6.40, check this out. Here's what Jesus says to his guys. A disciple is not above his teacher. You are always becoming what you emulate. You are always becoming what you're seeing and experiencing. Now, if we are always seeing and experiencing the love of Jesus and how he treats us, watch the rest of the verse. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. You will become... Like Jesus, and treat others the way Jesus treats you if you constantly focus on how good He is to you. The more we understand just how patient and kind Christ is with us, the more we will pour it out on those around us. So I could say it like this We will become what we habitually experience the more you experience the amazingness of Christ and how he looks at you and deals with you, the more you will become like him and treat others the same way. So I want to leave you with a challenge this morning. And here's what I want to challenge us with this week. This is our our week's thoughts. As you interact with that fellow Christian, as you walk around this place, as maybe things are a little disorganized, even this afternoon, here's what I I want you to ask yourself. Does this reflect the love that Christ shows me? As I am interacting with this Christian, does this reflect the way Jesus treats me? And the cool thing is that every time we are patient and every time we are kind with each other, we experience Jesus through each other. Will you take that challenge up with me? Let's pray. we bow our heads and all with one heart and one mind just take a fresh look at how we are going to treat each other and if there is any frustration or resentment or irritability which is very human but if it's there in your heart towards another, I just want us to ask with one mind and one heart, how does the Lord treat me? And the more the Holy Spirit brings that into our hearts and minds, the more we will begin to treat each other the same way. maybe this morning you would pray for that heart just as I saw so many flaws in my heart this week Lord give us eyes to see how good you are to us how patient and kind and just as the Corinthian church revived revive us here at Bethel Pray this prayer. Lord, help us to reflect the way you treat us. Just continue praying that and letting the Holy Spirit give you a new energy for beautiful gospel-centered relationships.